Welcome to episode 85 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Ashton and Brian Tyson Eaton, a powerhouse track and field athlete couple on the podcast. Ashton is an American decathlete and Olympic champion who holds the world record in both the decathlon and heptathlon events. Brienne is a Canadian heptathlete and pentathlete who is an Olympian from London 2012, holds the Canadian record for the indoor pentathlon, is a heptathlon silver medalist from the 2013 World Championships, and a pentathlon silver medalist from the 2014 World Indoor Championships. Before we get into the interview with Ashton and Brienne, I want to let the Running on Om community know that I'm headed to Ethiopia early October to work with young Ethiopian female runners teaching English and gender empowerment until mid-February. My conversation with Ashton and Brienne will be the last Running on Om podcast interview before I leave the States, and I hope to continue the podcast in Ethiopia. However, it will take a different shape there, and I won't be releasing new podcasts on a weekly basis. I hope you will take my four-month journey as an opportunity to catch up on the 85 podcast episodes I published this past year with amazing runners, athletes, yogis, and teachers from many different walks of life. If you would like to follow my journey while I'm in Ethiopia, please like Running on Om on Facebook or subscribe to receive Running on Om blog posts in your email inbox on runningonom.com to keep up to date with what I'm doing and my different kind of podcast interviews there. Let's jump into the show with Ashton and Brienne. In this episode, they first describe one another in three words. Ashton and Brienne talk about cultivating a competitive yet supportive mindset in their training together. The story of how they met from both of their perspectives. The logistics of training together on a daily basis. Ashton and Brienne's favorite and most challenging events in their multi-sports the proudest moment they've experienced when watching one another compete. A recount of Ashton's world record decathlon, including the nerves they both experienced with his 1500 meter event. How they unplug in their off season. Their upcoming calendar as Ashton and Brienne prepare for the 2016 Olympics. More is not always better, one of the pieces of wise advice they offer on staying injury free. All this and more on this episode of the Running on Ohm podcast. Oh, welcome Ashton and Brienne to the Running on Ohm podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so I get to talk to both of these incredible athletes, human beings, early morning for them, and so they're just kind of starting off their day. So this is kind of a big question to begin with, but what would you say are three words you would describe the other person in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I wish I had more coffee down. <laughs> uh, three words. Okay, I would say determined for Brienne, uh, focused, and I don't know. Determined, focused, and competitive. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> Mine for Ashton would probably be, I think he's patient. He's a pretty patient person. Um, Well, I'll explain mine first, what you think. Because basically, Brienne is, it's so natural to her that I don't think she realizes it sometimes, but everybody on the outside can see it very clearly. And... 
their those attributes are ones that are just so much part of her deal, and I think that's why she's been so successful. I mean, you can kind of see it when she competes. You can see it in very small situations. I remember in college, she'd be up till three in the morning, uh, and this is like later on when we had been dating for a while, and I'd be sitting there thinking, Brianne, go to bed. Stop studying. Go to bed. It's like, you can't really get anything done at three. She's like, well, I'm going to get up at six. I'm like, three hours of sleep? Why don't you just go to bed early and get up? No, 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 no. That's not what I want to do. I want to stay up and get this right. And I mean, that takes a lot of determination and it takes a lot of focus. And she put herself through college with uh, a business major and did fantastic. And she would always kind of, and I guess competitive was a good word because when other members in her groups weren't performing to what she thought their level should be, she would either take it over or tell them how she felt. And uh, so that's it. She has very high standards for herself and for others, and I think that people rise to those, and people who don't necessarily can't be successful in that kind of environment just don't, it, it doesn't operate for them. And, uh, but it's not, I don't think it's ever a bad thing. It's always a good thing, and I don't think she's ever mean or angry about it. It's just part of who she is, and I think that's led to a lot of her success now. Okay, I got my three words. I think they're good ones. I would say very goal-oriented, um, patient, and inquisitive, I think is a good word because Ash is the kind of person who, when he figures out what he wants, and that's part of it because him figuring out what he wants is asking a ton of questions. <laughs> He's a question asker, or researching things, or if he doesn't agree with somebody or not necessarily agree, but just doesn't really understand why someone thinks the way they do, he's asking them, well, why don't I understand why you think like that? Or why am I doing it this way? If he's asking our coach or, you know, why can't I do it this way? And, and kind of going through things that way. So he's constantly doing that to try to figure out what he wants out of life. And when it comes to track, he knows what he wants and then everything is just what he has to do to get to that. Um, I would say that he's really patient, at least a lot more patient than I am, just at practice, you know, trying to, when he's trying to figure out something new or just in everyday life. Like if I can't get something within 10 seconds, I'm like, ah, I'm done. I'm frustrated. I can't do this. And he's like, give it to me. Or, you know, if you have to ever do a, you know, call somebody because their like bill is wrong or something like that. I can't do it. I get too frustrated on the phone, so he has to do it for me. So he's just like, he's a lot more patient than I am. I think for both of us, we're, with track and field specifically, we were, were so used to, before we started college in this decathlon and heptathlon thing, well, Brand had already done it. We were so used to being really good at everything very quickly. It's like we always wanted to learn and do everything good overnight. Coach would tell us something, and the next day we would, you know, essentially master it in our mind. And when that started not happening as we got older, uh, it was very frustrating for both of us. And Brienne tends to wear that frustration on her sleeve. I tend to hold it back and just think, okay, how can I do it? You know. So we both have the same thing, but just different ways of going about it. And it sounds like in a way you guys are able to balance each other out and work together in it. Absolutely. That's something that we've just kind of figured out how to do when it comes to track, really. Um, 
because we would get frustrated with if one was you know performing well or having an easy time picking something up at practice and the other one wasn't or we just each naturally have our strengths and weaknesses within each event and you know he's better at the shot put than I am I'm better at the high jump and I those are just two events that we understand so we tried in the past we would try to help each other and the other one just would not take the other one's feedback would get kind of frustrated and upset and that's something we've kind of tried to learn to talk it out and work together so that we can because if you have these two world-class athletes very competitive people. yeah and who have a not, lot of knowledge about kind of the event and sometimes from a coaching perspective our coach can't necessarily tell us how it's supposed to feel he can just tell us what to do and I think as the other person is actually in the event and doing it sometimes there's feelings you get that only another athlete can describe so we kind of started to say we need to work together since we're kind of feeling the same things and maybe that will it'll work better that way to answer your question (laughs) very very long version yeah beautiful now, going back in time, um, before you guys necessarily were collaborating and giving each other tips on your events, how did you meet? And what was your feeling like when you first saw the other person? <laughs> when we started. Okay. I was already in college, so I was a freshman. And near the end of the season, maybe it was in the middle, I can't remember. But you, recruits come in. It's in October. It was in October. Oh, so it was the very big beginning of the season. Oh, so we met uh, last month, mm-hmm. six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm a freshman. I'm training. Recruits come in. And the way the recruiting process works is the coach is around for a while, introduces them to the training group, shows them the campus, takes them to a football game, takes them to teachers, counselors, whatever. And then they kind of get released with the student athletes uh, all by themselves. So we take them in and the coaches basically like make their time here awesome so they come here. And that's how recruiting works. And so I'm on the track at practice. Our coach brings up Brienne and some other people that we were recruiting. So they usually come in groups. Um, and they, you know, we're in the middle of practice and our coach says, here's these recruits. We say, hey, how you doing? Uh, so they watch the rest of our practice. And I remember seeing her and I think there was two other girls and maybe a boy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't really think anything. I just thought, oh, recruits, you know, we need to try to impress them. And that practice, we happened to be doing hills, which were, they were just, especially freshman year, um, you know, you there's a transition period. So I'm running hills and I end up, you know, just throwing up all over the place at the end because the workout was so hard. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is embarrassing. You know, you're trying to work hard and, you know, impress girls and recruits and everybody else. I was trying to impress everybody at that point, coaches even, but a little too much, I guess. So (laughs) she can tell you what she remembers about that, but I remember being embarrassed. And then that night, recruits came, uh, just came with the student athletes and we went to a friend's house and basically we all go around talking and seeing where people are from and such. And I remember having a conversation with Brianne in a kitchen, um, a college house kitchen. So this is like, you know, it's not the most perfect of settings, <laughs> but our conversation was 15 minutes long. And I left thinking this was the best conversation I've ever had with a girl. We, anything I said, she was totally resonating with and anything she said, I was like, I a hundred percent get what you were saying. And it was all about track and coaches and things like that. 
I thought, geez, that was awesome. And then uh, she left the next day and never thought anything of it after that. My turn? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I remember meeting Ashton outside the weight room at Hayward Field. and But I the problem when you're a recruit is that you meet so many people and like there's so many names. This is so-and-so. This is so-and-so. You don't remember any of them. And honestly, everyone just kind of like blurs together. And I so I barely I barely remember seeing any faces. I just remember being there meeting a lot of people. I remember being at the hill. I don't remember him throwing up. I don't know what I don't know if he threw up the top of the hill and I was at the bottom. I have no idea. But I didn't see it. So that was probably I remember <laughs> all the recruits were standing like at the hundred meter mark. Yeah. And we were just running by you. Yeah. 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 And then the house party that night, it was weird because I remember standing in the kitchen and talking, but it was like we were talking and we were finishing one another's sentences. Like, and we just understood like everything I'd say. He'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, me too. And say, that's, I would do the exact same thing. And it was like, man, I've never had this much in common with somebody before. And I think that, you know, typically that the thing that I found was that like when you're first attracted to somebody, usually you, you see them and you're like, how they look. You're attracted to how they look. I was attracted to how he looked, but I just remember being like so overwhelmed by how much we had in common. And that was kind of the thing I always remembered. And well, so then the next time we met was, well, that's a story. In itself, yeah. Was that yeah, world was at Pan Am juniors in Brazil. So that summer, so the next summer, so I graduated from high school and Ashton had finished his freshman year of college. And these are, this is only for athletes under 20, 20 yeah, and under Pan Am juniors. Yeah. Um, and I remember what I was getting ready to go and my dad had said, Oh, I think there's some people from Oregon that are on the U S team that are going to be on your, your teammates when you go to Oregon. And it was like, he had like said, AJ Acosta, Nicole Blood, Ashton Eaton. And I was Matt like, Centrowitz. Matt Centrowitz. And I was like, huh, you know, not knowing who any of these people are, like their, their names didn't even really sound familiar to me. And so, I, and my dad was like, you know, I think most of them are distance runners, except Ashton, he's, he's one of the athletes we met because my dad came on the visit with me. My dad remembered him. And I was like, huh, I don't know which one that was. You know, I couldn't like put a face to the name or anything like that. And so I remember when I got there, the U.S. team and the Canadian team were in the same hotel. And it had been like a day since we had been there. And the second day, we, the Canadian team was getting off the bus, coming from practice. It was about lunchtime. And I think there was another, there was a team of U.S. athletes coming back from the track also. The U.S. athletes got off first. And we were all, all the Canadian athletes walking in. And this guy is holding the door. And... As I'm walking in, he goes, hey, are you Brian?" And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm Ashton. I'm one of the guys from Oregon you met. And as soon as he said that, it was like a flashback to the kitchen. Like, oh, you're the one who I was talking to in the kitchen. Like, it, that's like when I kind of put two and two together. And then the funny thing after that was that uh, we had walked out for dinner one night. I had walked out for dinner one night out of my room. And he was walking out of his room, which was right across the hall from mine. So we ended up hanging out a lot that trip. Yeah, we, yeah, that's. It was weird. When I the way I remember it, I I don't remember holding the door open and saying seeing her or anybody else. I remember being in the hotel and for some reason not realizing that anybody else, any other country, was in there. And you have to understand, this was I had never I'd been out of the country once 
but that was with a family member. So it was, this was a very, very weird and new experience to me, seeing all these athletes wearing the U.S. uniform and being in a hotel. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> For some, you know, I was just very naive about stuff. And I remember getting ready to go to dinner one night and opening my door and seeing her across the hall going to dinner. I was like, what are you doing here? In my mind, and I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, anyways, that's, I don't know. That's a long story, but that's it. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, fast forwarding, you're married, you're living in Eugene, Oregon, training both at a really high level. In your day-to-day lives, how does your training intersect? I mean, you've spoken about obviously having the same coach. And so are you guys doing the same workouts every day with one another? And how does that go down, the logistics? Um, I would say there is no intersection. It is just all together yeah (laughs) the same like we have the same I mean maybe generally we have the same practice times we don't also we don't train with anybody else so our coach only coaches us yeah so that so we get up in the morning coach says practices at 10 we throw the bags are we taking your car or my car yeah we're taking your car okay so we throw the bags in her car or we throw the bags in my car whatever we decide we drive and I mean we do all the same stuff all the time Mm -hmm. and Sometimes we will, Brianne will need one-on-one time with coach in the shot put. I'll need one-on-one time with coach in the high jump. Or she'll need one-on-one time with coach in the 200. And I'll need it in the 15. You know, our running is a little bit different, um, but mostly the same. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. Every, I would say, maybe every Tuesday, Thursday, we would have our own practices. mm -hmm. um, Just so that we can get someone on one time with him. But otherwise, it's all... Exactly the same, which yeah. is crazy because us three spend like 40 hours a week together. Like it's like yeah. we're our own little family. So Harry actually married us yeah. because we were thinking, who knows us better? Yeah. That's not in our family. Yeah. Harry, because I mean, we spend more time with him than we do our own uh, family, which yeah. is definitely for sure. Yeah. So. Um, if there's an issue, he knows because... You know, he, it affects everything at practice. Oh, so yeah, you can tell. he's like our our little, you yeah. know, someone we can talk to or whatever. Yeah. Let him know things so are. Do you guys do like strength training, like the same weight room weight room routine with one another. Like we used to, mm-hmm. but um, as we developed more, Harry realized Brand needs different weight training. I need different weight training. So we used to, but now it's it's. We different. lift at the same time, but it's just different exercises focusing on. Yeah, yeah 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 and what would you say for both of you guys is your favorite event out of the many that you do and maybe the one that you're most challenged by individually um it changes all the time which event is the favorite but the one that consistently I've just loved is hurdles I think that I like practicing them and I love racing them I've never never once in a single year I've said, oh, I just don't want to hurdle. I hate it. You know, so that, that has consistently been fun. I I used to really like javelin. I've been struggling with it lately, so that one's probably the most frustrating to me right now. I would say I've always had the most fun pole vaulting, and I've always had the most frustration with high jump. So my throws have been frustrating, and high jump has gone good, but... It's always, like, I've been able to increase my throwing distance, but I really haven't jumped any higher since I was a sophomore in high school. So, those are my two. Yeah. 
take me to one moment for both of you guys watching the other person compete and whether that was a moment where you experienced a lot of joy watching that other person maybe accomplish success or a lot of sorrow but yeah let's go, let's get specific with one memory that was that this is so easy for me uh it was this last year when she was at the commonwealth games in uh glasgow and the the part is I see her, what she does every day. So it's almost like you'll see somebody at a meet and then, you know, they're faster at the next meet. And you think, oh, they had to do all this work. But you don't really see it. And maybe you don't even think they had to do all this work. Maybe you think, oh, they got faster. But essentially, Brand was struggling with the 200 meters, which was... I don't even know. How to for years. For like, years. Like, I've yeah. never understood it. It's yeah. been, I would just, I mean, it was the event I cried over the most. Like, yeah. I just was so frustrated. So, her and Harry would spend extra time after practice or before practice or during practice. And I would just kind of be sitting there watching. And I'd try to throw in my two cents sometimes, and sometimes it wouldn't work, sometimes it would help. But this was years in the making of trying to, for her to get faster in the 200 meters because she knew it was uh, essential. Now, that was just one specific event within the heptathlon, but I've also seen all the work she's done in the heptathlon to just increase her score. And I'm sitting there at Commonwealth Games, and after, before every event, I can just see the confidence in her body language. And I, I was so proud because I knew where that confidence came from. I had seen all the work and all the crying and all the... <laughs> you know, talking and all the fighting with Harry and all the fighting with herself um, and, and me and all the good things that she did for years to try to get to that moment of confidence in every single event. Now, I loved the whole heptathlon because right from the hurdles, I saw her walk out and I was like, she is so ready. Like I was way across the track and I could tell. And in the shot put, we had been working on the shot put for years, like Years, every stinking day for years. We only take, we take eight weeks off, sometimes 12, and we practice every day, including Saturday. So however many days that is, always struggles, always trying to improve yourself, and I've seen that for years. Then the high jump, and then the 200 meters comes around, and I hear the gun go, and I'm sitting by myself, kind of near the finish line, up in the stands, and I'm watching Brian come around the turn, and she's just destroying everybody. And I'm thinking she's going to start getting tight, kind of like she normally does. And she starts pulling away. And at that moment, I thought, I knew, I was so proud because I knew how she felt. Like, to see all that hard work that she put in finally come to fruition. And I, I felt so special because I knew what nobody else knew, how she got there. I knew other people would see that and think, geez, Brianna got fast. And I sat there and thought, I know exactly how she did. And it was because she was determined and because it was hard work and it was a fight. And now here she is getting to feel it. And so I, I was so, so proud of her. That was the best. Mine is probably easy and I'm sure everyone assumes this is what I'm going to say. But seeing him break the world record at Hayward Field in 2012 was by far the highlight of whatever I watched Ashton do. And I think I get nervous for him usually, but not really nervous. Like you, 
I'm never nervous that he's going to screw up. Like usually I'm like, okay, he's got it figured out. But that the start of the world record decathlon, I was super nervous. Like I thought he was going to fall start the 100. I didn't know if he was going to foul all his jumps and long jump. But as soon as he got those two events over with and broke world records in both those two events, I was like, okay, he clearly knows what he's doing. I'm fine. I just need to relax. And I had remember, I remember Harry saying to me, he never tells Ashton this, but before Ashton started that meet, like a week before he said, I think Ashton could break the world record. And I was like, really? He's like, yep, he's in great shape. You know, he's at Hayward Field. He has the crowd behind him. It'll, you know, that will help him a lot. But the first day just absolutely poured rain, like poured rain. And he competed really well, but I remember him not being very happy, or he ran really fast in the 400, but he just looked like super pissed off <laughs> starting the 400. Like there was rain like dripping off of his nose. I remember him just standing there like, he, there's a picture with him furrowing his eyebrows. Like he just looks so mad. And um, so he gets up for the second day, he's competing. And I remember I was sitting with our manager and he's of course writing down everything, all the points, what he needs to do in the next events. and. Um, the pole vault was kind of the deciding factor because there's a lot of points in pole vault and he had to jump like 5.30 or something and to stay on track. And so he jumps 5.30 and we're all like, oh my gosh. And here's like, relax, relax. We don't want him to know. Like, just calm down. Which so, I didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know. And so then he throws javelin. He needed like a, a decent javelin throw. He throws a little bit shorter than what you needed yeah. in javelin, which makes the 1500 like way faster and for us non-distance people like having the pressure of having to run fast in the last event is super stressful and especially when it's you have to run faster than you've ever run before it's like but that's what i did last what? time yeah, my pr I is the fastest i've ever yeah, ran Ash how was, am i supposed to go faster yeah and he, so he had run 418 in daegu at the world championship hardest race of my life hardest, hardest i said i'll never run faster than 418 yeah he had to run 414 harry harry tells us this i'm going to talk to ash no 416 Oh, okay. I'm going to talk to Ash. He has to run 416 to break the world record. And we're like, okay. So he, I wasn't there, but he, well, you can tell. He walks in and. Oh, well, I mean, there was an hour and more before the race. And Harry's telling me this. And I'm thinking, oh, man. Like, I'm thinking I'm going to pr probably die because <laughs> I almost died after the 418. And it was a 418.9. And I never fall down after races, and I was on the ground after that race. And uh, anyways, he was telling me this, and I was getting a massage, and you know, an hour goes by, and you, <laughs> when you think, I have to run faster than I ever have to break the world record, and if I don't do it, I am such no, a No, but he, he had come in, and he had said, Ash, you need to run 416 to break the record. And Ashton said, yeah, I know, the American record. And Harry goes, no, Ashton. No, 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 no. Okay, well, it was It was the javelin. Oh. Well, I didn't know I had the world record thing, and what happened was the pole vault ended, and Harry's telling me all this stuff about javelin, and he, I can tell he's really excited and really wants me to throw far, and I'm like, okay, he really wants me to do something, and I'm thinking, coach, how far do I have to throw to break the American record? And he stops, and he closes his little paper, and he looks at me and goes, not the American record, Ashton, the world record. And I thought, holy smokes. <laughs> So I threw Javelin worse than what we were supposed to because I was like, world record, are you kidding me? And then the 15th thing. Yeah, so then the 1500, 
Harry, I'm with Ashton's mom. We're with Harry. Harry's getting all of these text messages from literally all over the world, oh, from the Germans, Germans saying he has to do Check. it. He must break the world record. He has to do it. He has to do it. Okay. And so Harry... And Harry, Harry's telling me this. Hey, I got a message from Klaus. He says he has to do it. You have to do it. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. already nervous. <laughs> so Harry just is like, Brie, I'm going up to sit with my wife. His wife, Madeline, was in the stands. I'm just going to enjoy this. Like, have fun. Basically. <laughs> so he leaves. He's like up in the stands. I have no idea where he is. Roz... Ashton's mom and I are, Roz is like, I'm getting to the finish line. I don't care who's there. I don't care what the security is. I'm bowling my way through and I'm standing by the finish line right on the fence. I'm his mother. So she goes, come on, Brie. So we, she grabs my arm and they're like, no, 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 no. And she's like, get out of my way. My son is running and she's just bowling through all the security. And we finally get to the fence and she's hold, we're holding onto the fence because people keep grabbing us and saying, excuse me, miss, you have, you can't be here. You can't be here. And finally, an NBC person comes up and says, are you Ashton's family? And we said, yes. And they said, oh, perfect. Stay here. <laughs> so finally, we get these people off of our backs. So I see him standing on the start line of the 1500, and I'm like, I'm sh just shaking. And normally, Ashton's mom is pretty, like, emotional, and, w like, she'll ask a lot of questions, and she'll be really worried, and, like, it's almost just trying to get the nerves off her mind. She didn't say a single word. I kept saying, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. And she just sat there and st just stared. It was so crazy. The minute the gun went off, I was in tears. I cried the entire race. Roz didn't cry at all. She just sat there and she would cheer. and She would just watch him, watch him, watch him. As soon as he crossed the finish line, like Roz and I just took off. Like we just ran out there. I was like, I don't know if we're allowed to do this, but I'm running out there because that was, and then we were both just crying and we saw Ashton crying. And that, it was just unbelievable. Like, all of Hayward Field was standing up. You could tell that they had tears in their eyes. Like, it was just, it was crazy because they'd seen this kid growing up, like, in Oregon, competing at U the U of O, and it was just such a cool moment. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Yeah. You just, you just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> That's really beautiful. And it, what's really exciting to me is that, I mean, you guys are both really young in your careers, and there's still more, so much more ahead of you which is really exciting. So for you guys, I know this past summer you got to take some time off from kind of the intense training. How do you guys unplug? What would you say are your favorite ways to unplug when you're not training with Harry and in the grind of it? <laughs> um, well, for one, we and Harry, it's mutual. We don't talk to Harry for like pretty much two solid months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because when you have somebody telling you stuff every day, and you have agreements and you also have disagreements. It's like, all right, coach, season's over. We'll see you in a few months. And uh, just because I think we need a break, like a little refresher, you know? And uh, But we'll call and see how he's doing and stuff and likewise to him. And then we see our families because for 90% of the year we don't. So uh, it, It's funny because usually when we go home to see our families, it's like, it doesn't take us long to get out of the track mode. Like, we're actually really usually pretty ready for it. Like, we can't wait to be finish the season. So, as soon as it's over, we're like, oh, yes. And we could, like, we just go on vacation, you know? And, like, the a good example of just, I mean, we eat really crappy, really crappy when we're not training. And, and the families know that. And, I mean, this yeah. is what they're good for. It's like, we go, and it's like, oh, all of grandma and mom's cooking. It's yeah. like just... 
you know, delicious, but not something we would eat during training, definitely. Yeah, we went, we went, we met my family at where I live and they were camping. So we went camping for the, with them for a while. And the first day we were there, we had like sausages for lunch. And like my mom had like carrots and like vegetable tray with like a dip with it. And Ashton like looks at it, like kind of like with a sour face. He's like, where are the chips? <laughs> <laughs> my mom just starts laughing. She of course has like a bunch, but she's like, I didn't know if you guys wanted to eat healthy or what. But yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we, it's, we don't typically travel because we do a lot of traveling during the season. Um, all of the normal, like I, I assume normal stuff that people do to get away. Uh, we don't, we, it seems like we do the opposite. Stay home. Don't go out much. Don't really talk to other people because we do that, you know. We spend a lot of days getting up at like 9.30 or 10, yeah. sitting around all day, yeah. like literally doing nothing, like yeah. the laziest people. We, we see our friends, which is a big thing for us. Um, a lot of our friends in college are our closest. So this year, we did travel and go to Mexico with them. Um, and it was, it was cool just to see them. So seeing friends and family, I mean, it's generally, generally the deal. Totally. Now, looking forward to the rest of 2014, 2015, even 2016, what would you guys say are upcoming goals and projects that are in your minds? That's a good question. I think usually how our coach <clears throat> approaches the years leading up to the Olympics is 2015 will be like a really heavy training year for us. So he likes to have a lot of the work, fitness, technique done the year before so that the Olympic year is more just like sharpening and mm -hmm. fine-tuning everything. So I know that 2015 will be maybe not as much competing. Well, I know for sure not as much competing as this last year because last year we did an indoor season and an outdoor season, and 2015 will just be outdoor. So probably not as much competing, more focus on heavy training. Mm -hmm. He always said the year before the Olympic year is the most important, and he did that uh, in 2011 with us and – worked well. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, since we're both world medalists, we'll be going into 2015 wanting medals again because we typically don't want anything less than what we've already done. And then honestly, 2016, it's like we both know what we have to do um, as far as scores or whatever it is. It's just really probably about sharpening, being very, very, very smart, uh, and injury prevention. And it's not only the stuff on the track, it's all the stuff we do off the track. So yeah. making sure that we're eating correctly, get enough sleep. If you know, we work with sports psychologists, so making sure that even all of that is fine tuned. So that the year of the Olympics, we know exactly what we need to, what mm -hmm. that we've worked on everything we need to, so that it's just managing everything we know already. It's just, you have to be very, it's hard to explain, but you have to be very, and Harry is great for this, you have to be very smart during uh, the Olympic year with a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. like how much media and stuff, how much traveling are you doing? Um, yeah. Which just, is tough because the Olympic year is when all the sponsors come mm -hmm. and when they when everything wants to, they, when they want to be doing everything, but for us, sometimes it's smart to turn things down. Mm -hmm. um, just because you can't be missing all that practice because you're traveling to New York or you're traveling wherever. So totally, totally. And what's amazing is that you guys will be able to kind of really experience this and continue to 
support each other side by side. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you, going back for a moment to injury prevention, I know a lot of the listeners on this podcast, or most of them are more distance running based. What would you guys say for you are one injury tip from both of you in staying injury-free as athletes? It doesn't necessarily need to be for distance runners, but something that you found has been really important. This is something that, well, was probably harder for me to learn, maybe than Ash, but I think it was uh, a transition for both of us. When Harry first started coaching us, and that was the fall of 2009, the first thing he told us was, you never want to go to the well. You always want to finish a workout feeling like you could do one more. And we were like, what? (laughs) You know, because we had trained like crazy, like so hard, like you couldn't possibly do another one. Like we, we were at the point where we were throwing up, and like it was just, like it was awful. I mean, if you, if you look at the stats or ask other athletes or just kind of see a group of competitions, it's clear that we are the best runners in our events and running is the base of our training. And, uh, that comes not easily, Mm -hmm. but we didn't know that we didn't really, we, at Oregon, we grew up here, no learning that running hard, Till you throw up or whatever, just till you're falling down type of thing is just what you do. It's mm-hmm. not, that's the normal. And I think when we first started at Oregon, we were obviously younger and your body could handle that. I think a little bit more is more resilient, but Harry has coached a lot of post-collegiate athletes and he's learned that once you get older, can't be doing the same thing or you're going to break down. And also that once you're older, you have all those years of fitness under your belt and you're just continuing to build off of it so you don't necessarily need to work as hard year after year after mm-hmm. year so that was something that was hard for us to understand and not to say that you know there are some workouts maybe once every couple months once every three months where we're like so tired we could like we're laying on the track mm-hmm. but that's just not every workout and that's something he taught us. Like you need to listen to your body and you need to tell me when you think, you know, sometimes Ash will come to practice. And like I said, he's better at it than I am, but he'll come to practice and be like, coach, I don't feel like being here today. I'm tired. I'm sore. I don't think this is a good idea. And coach will be like, okay, go home, take a day off. But you know, it's important that with those things, you have to distinguish between or take stock of both mentally and physically how you feel. Mm-hmm. So if I'm just don't want to be there because mentally I'm in a bad mood and I don't think it, but I physically feel good, you have to get over that as an athlete. But if I think I'm so mentally tired of doing track that if I try to attempt a high jump, I think I might hurt myself because I'm just not f- focusing. And that's when you have to be smart about mm-hmm. it. I think that the one thing, you know, Harry always says it's better to get to the line 80% in shape but 100% healthy. And I think that the more, you know, you can, if you miss a day of practice because you think, okay, I'm tired, maybe this isn't good for me, versus missing a week and a half of practice because you practiced that one day and got hurt, you know, it just, it <laughs> makes a lot more sense. But it is difficult to do. And I think that Ashton has it pretty mastered. I think I'm still trying to figure it out. But that's probably the most important thing. It's well. Because it's, it's a very hard thing to do. As competitive people, especially at a certain level, you always want to do more, more, more because you want to get better. It's all because you want to get better. But it's 
have you ever, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a psychological test where there's three posts and there's little, there's discs, a big one, a medium one, and a small one. And they're all on one side and you have to get them all to, there's a post, 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 and you have to get them all to the far end post, small or big, medium, large again. What's interesting is in order to do that, you have to take certain steps and then you have to go backwards, which Every, like a lot of people fail this, and I wish I remember the name of it, because going backwards to make gains doesn't make sense to people. Mm. And that's kind of the same deal. If you, if you look it up, you'll understand what I'm saying, but it's like you have to trust that if I take a day off, it's actually beneficial. Mm-hmm. If I don't do the next rep because I'm tired, like I feel like something may hurt, but even though my coach says to do it, it may be beneficial. So those, those are the things I see other athletes struggling with, just being able to say, I think I'm, this is enough. It's, mm-hmm. it's very hard for people to, unless they're de- dead, understand that they've done enough. Mm-hmm. Especially now, we know nothing about distance, but we know that those athletes have to be mentally tough. Like I, this year, I think I ran further than I ever ran. I ran five miles for like a race with a lady. Yeah, and I was like, this is brutal. And it took us, I think we were running about nine minute pace, you know, because I was, I was running with her and it was up and down hills on roads. And I'm like, this is the worst. Like, Brian's like, I'd love to do a marathon later. And I'm thinking, <laughs> after that, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. So I understand you have to be so tough. And I think they have a really hard time because they know, like, they are just used to being tough. And if, I don't push through this, then I won't get faster. So it's kind of, I don't know. I can see it being difficult. Yeah, I think that's some really, really smart wisdom from both of you. Um, To close up our interview, coming back to a little bit more fun, playful, I have um, a couple either-or questions for both of you and that I'd like you to try to answer for the other person. Okay. So, Brianne, is Ashton an early bird or a night owl? A night owl, for sure. Ashton, what is Brienne? Oh, she's definitely an early bird. I mean, yeah, definitely an early bird. I just because I don't stay up late. Yeah, I mean, she'll during the season she'll be in bed at like nine thirty sometimes, and I'm just like, I don't know how you can do it. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, that's crazy. And then she loves getting up in the mornings, and you know, I try to get up in the mornings with her, but it's just. Maybe I stayed up late playing video games or something. I like the night. There's cool things about the night. Chocolate or vanilla for Ashton? Vanilla. Yeah. Chocolate for Brie. No. You don't think so? You always ice want chocolate. Cream? Well, you have ice cream. Are we talking about ice cream or anything? I was talking about anything. It could be ice cream. It could just be the actual bar. Ooh. Well, see, the thing is, it wouldn't even be... If it was chocolate and vanilla... Maybe vanilla, but I say chocolate. But she or cake or anything. She would choose I have a fr- fruity candies. She she would never choose chocolate. She would always choose fruity candies. Yeah, I have a funny story about Ash. Just oh. with chocolate and vanilla. He made me a birthday cake one year, and it was a surprise birthday cake. It was chocolate. It, he tried to double layer stack them, so like he made two nine by thirteen inch pans of chocolate cake. And he didn't level the bottom one off, so it was like 
you know, like kind of rounded and he stabs the other one on top when it was still warm. So it like had a big crack down the middle and he like tried to fill it with icing and I, when it was still warm, the icing was like melting. Anyways, it was like a nice thought. It was an ugly, ugly game. Oh, super ugly. And uh, he was like, happy birthday, Brie. I hope you like chocolate. I know it's your favorite. And I was like, thanks. And, I was, and later I was like, you know, I think I would actually per prefer vanilla just for the future so you know me better. And he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I just figured I like chocolate. And when I'm happy, you're happy. <laughs> so I want a chocolate that, cake. So. Yeah, that was our, that That's was my, cute. I think I heard my first birthday with him. But anyways. <laughs> You've grown a lot since then. <laughs> Two more questions. Mountains or oceans for Ashton? Oh, mountains. Yes. Ooh. Oh, come on. You know Oceans. It. No. <laughs> I hate the water. <laughs> oh. Well, I like taking you to oceans, but yeah. I think we're both mountain people based yeah. on where we grew up. Yeah. Okay. And last, last one is if Ashton had a super f power, would he rather fly or be invisible? Fly. No, Brian would definitely fly. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. You guys can fly together. <laughs> Thank you both so much for sharing your stories on the Running on Ohm podcast. No problem. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Um, thanks for listening to episode 85 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Ashton and Brianne Tyson Eaton, Olympian track and field athletes. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, this will be my last Running on Ohm podcast before I leave for Ethiopia in early October to work with young Ethiopian female runners, teaching English and gender empowerment until mid-February. I hope to continue the podcast in Ethiopia, however it will take a different shape and I will not be releasing new podcasts there on a weekly basis. I hope you will take my four-month journey as an opportunity to catch up on the 85 podcast episodes I have published this past year with amazing runners, athletes, yogis, and teachers from many different walks of life. If you would like to follow my journey while I'm in Ethiopia, please like Running on Ohm on Facebook or subscribe to receive Running on Ohm blog posts in your email inbox on runningonohm.com to keep up to date with what I'm doing and my different kind of podcast interviews there. Thank you so much for supporting the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.